0: The reviews are in. Amish Country Farms is the place to be. Cute store, friendly staff, and amazing products, says Jessica. Highly recommend trying the milk, says Dan. So nice to have real homemade food so close to home, says Nicole. It's true. All of our food is locally sourced from the Amish of northern Indiana. It's fresh, authentic, and tastes out of this world. Visit our store today at 17843 South Wolf Road in Orland Park or give us a call at 708-864-8100. Amish Country Farms. It's not organic, it's Amish. One, two, three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zagluel.
1: than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to
0: talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Sports Talk Chicago. My name's John Zagluel. great to have you here. Today's edition of the program, some news about Ryan Poles and Justin Fields has come out, we'll break it all down in just a second, plus a brand new exclusive interview with Olin Krutz and Jason McKee, the hosts of the No Name Football Podcast and two Chicago Bears legends. We talk everything, Justin Fields, Ryan Poles, Matt Eberflus, the McCaskey family, and so much more. It's a great interview, you don't want to miss it, and it comes up near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Johns sports, and on Facebook at Johns You to know, watch more of this show? Search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportsTalkChicago.com. I want to start today with this Patience is a virtue. You've probably heard that a hundred times in your life, but it's 100% true. <laughs> We have to be patient in order for good things to come. Very rarely are we instantly gratified, and if we are, it's probably for the wrong reasons. Take the Bears, for example. I know we all want change, we all want success, we all want something to look forward to, and, well, I'm going to be critical of them if things don't go their way. Right now, we're kind of in a holding pattern. We don't know what to expect. We don't know what they're going to bring to the table this year. We don't know what their record is going to be. We don't even know if Justin Fields will succeed or not. We don't know for sure. And even the Bears don't know for sure about Justin Fields or about anybody on this team. Any player on this roster. Everybody is expendable at this moment in time. As pretty much every player that the Bears have at this point was inherited by Ryan Poles. Not guys, necessarily, that he wanted or traded for or drafted. Very few. So we have to be patient and wait and see which direction the Bears go in. Although we don't have a clear picture of what Ryan Poles is going to do, there's been some reporting that suggested otherwise it may have given us an insight or a snapshot into what he plans on doing. Here's the quote from Field Yates of ESPN. The Bears find themselves here after cratering in 2021, having dispensed many resources in the past that proved ill-fated. GM Ryan Poles was hired to get this organization back on track, and you can count on these facts. He will be disciplined, and he will pour endless hours into the draft. The fundamental reality of that is that it will take time, and the Bears have an abundance of roster holes to fill. Yates! for all intents and purposes, is correct in this assessment. Unfortunately, with the situation that Ryan Poles has inherited, major drastic change that will result in a winning product is not going to happen overnight. Look at the situation he inherited from Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. Ouch. It's going to take some time to get these bad contracts off the book. Time for cap space to open up. And time for his draft picks to either flop or succeed. We don't know for sure at this point in time. Not to mention the fact that Justin Fields is entering his sophomore season with another new coach, a new offense to learn, and new players around him on top of it. That said, what polls did do so far is... Encouraging, to an extent. I still wish the Bears had more wide receiving help, and I feel like they don't have enough today for Justin Fields. Maybe that'll change. But he's certainly poured in hours into the NFL draft. And that's all you could ask for from a guy like him at this point, knowing the situation the Bears are in. Think about it. The Bears have very little, if any, money to spend there's no one to really go out and get. They don't have draft capital to move for a big piece to get. They were stuck, and they still are stuck, for at least the majority of this season. At least, if not longer. are stuck. What do you do when you're stuck? Well, in the NFL at least, you turn to the draft where you could draft some quality players at a low price. Or no price, in some cases. I don't know how well any of these players are going to work out for them. But at this point, what more could he do? Would have been nice to draft more wide-receiving help, to have more youngsters out on the field with Justin Fields. I'm not crazy about their wide-receiving core. I still think it's one of the worst wide-receiving rooms in football. But, to polls credit, at least he's shown effort to somehow get things back on track. It's not going to be a magic fix. It's not going to be a snap of the fingers. This will take time. I'll give him credit and that so far he's done what he could with his hands tied behind his back. I think it's important to mention that. I don't want to rail on him all day if all these picks end up being busts you bet I will. But sometimes perspective is key and patience is key. Look at the team he inherited, look at the salary cap situation, look at how many bad contracts are and were on the books, and then look at the product on the field and how it needed to be improved. How can you improve something when you have bad contracts on the books and you have older players you need to unload first? It's a process. It can't just be, here we go right now, it takes steps. It takes steps in general to become a contender. It takes steps to be an elite NFL football team. It very rarely happens overnight. Even the Bengals can attest to that. A lot of people think, oh, the Bengals did it in one year. No, they didn't. Zach Taylor was about to be fired after his first year. They went 3-13. And, and Burrow was drafted. He got hurt. Taylor got more heat for it. Because they said, why are you putting them in with no offensive line? Then they made it to the Super Bowl. It took two to three years for the Bengals to become... An elite NFL team, and not a stock. See, the funny part is, any team could do it. There's so much parity in the NFL, the question is, will the Bears finally do it? It's so annoying, because every year we talk about this, hey, any team could do it, any team's in it, and for some reason the Bears are always working with the hand tied behind their back. Whether it be Ryan Paul's, whether it be anybody else, it doesn't matter, They're always operating as if there's a problem, and they never find a solution. And it's aggravating, as a Bears fan, to watch that year in and year out. And that's the problem a lot of people have with this team. Every year, there's hope, there's optimism, there's a new player, or a new signing, a new draft pick, new GM, new head coach. There's always something new to enamor fans, but at the end of the year, the same result persists. That's when you know there's a problem here. A big problem. It needs to be fixed. This team needs to be fixed. If other teams could do it in two to four years, why can't the Bears? Mainly, it's an aptitude at the top, right? McCaskey, Phillips, they're still there. But it's also hiring the wrong people, trusting in the wrong players, and having things blow up in your face, era after era. Jerry Angelo, Lovie Smith, Bill Emery, Mark Trestman, John Fox, Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy, and now Poles and Eberkloos. It's just so annoying to see it happen year in, year out, era in, era out. I just want something good to happen for once. It's so annoying sometimes. That's why when I opened up the show and said patience is a virtue, it is... But you can't blame me, nor any of you, for losing patience. We've been patient for 20, 25 years longer. Let's go back to 1985. I wasn't even alive yet. I didn't even watch that team. And yet to this day, whenever I ask anybody about the Bears, they point to that team immediately. My dad does. My boss does at WCKG. Everybody does. I just want to see a winning team for once. And my hope is that Ryan Poles genuinely is working as hard as he could to make it happen. I want to give him some patience. I want to give him a fair shot. But I'm just saying in general, we're running out of patience a bit. And it's just unfortunate for such a prestigious, legendary franchise to be run like this. Poles and Eberplus could change the mold, and that's my hope. And that's what we have to hope at this point. There's been no games played. We don't know what they're going to do yet. So anything is on the table, but I just hope at some point things could get done, and the bears can move in the right direction. On a ship to this, Justin Fields is obviously under the gun for this season, as we know. Time to evaluate whether or not he's a good enough quarterback to be the leader in the face of this franchise moving forward. Here's a bit of encouraging news from Steve Young, legendary Hall of Fame quarterback. Young said, quote, he believes a quarterback can play well during a season, and yet the team won't be good. It has to be about improving everything he does. Fields must become more efficient, quicken his operation, and learn how to process It's all about stacking positive plays and minimizing negative ones. It's a very good point from Steve Young. And I kind of alluded to this last week as well on the program. I'm not going to judge Justin Fields solely on numbers. Numbers help. If he has 20 fumbles, that's a Justin Fields problem, right? But if he has 20 touchdowns and 12 picks, I want to see every pick on film. I want to know why interceptions occurred. I want to know why he may have a 59% completion percentage. Is it because of bad errant throws? Is it because of no time in the pocket? Or is it because of constant drops from his crappy wide receiving core? See, these are questions that need to be answered. There are contexts that come with these numbers. And I'm a huge numbers guy. I love numbers straight up. But in this case, when you look at the team around Justin Fields, you have to wonder, hmm, there should be some context considered. <laughs> not going to sit here and trash Justin Fields when his top wide receiver is Darnell Mooney and his second best is maybe By- Byron Pringle. And then after him, it's a free-for-all. Jones is a rookie at 25. We don't know what he's going to do. We know he's explosive, but that's about it. And really, there's a significant drop-off after those three. A significant drop-off. He'll have David Montgomery, at least, and Herbert will be back, too. But still, it's concerning, to say the least. I like this point from Steve Young. I'm not going to solely base my evaluation on record and straight up numbers. That would be pretty stupid of me and short sighted of me to do. Can't just be all about numbers. Can't just be all about, oh, the Bears went five and twelve, they suck, Justin Fields sucks, get rid of him. How did he perform during a five and twelve season? Were they in the games they played? And whose fault was it really that they didn't win? Because chances are, it's not solely on the quarterback. It could be, but not always. Not every team loses and has bad quarterback play. Look at the Seahawks last year when Russell Wilson was in. They did fine. But at the end of the day, they still traded him, and they sucked. But Russell Wilson had statistically another great season. Look at the Texans with Deshaun Watson before all these controversies. His rookie year, Deshaun Watson, had an outstanding season. Now the Texans only won three games. So context matters. And I want to make sure that we're all reminded of that come this season. I know you tune in for my rants and there will be many. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to crap on Justin Fields if he puts in a good performance or an okay enough performance and yet gets no help or the Bears lose or whatever might happen. Context matters. That's in life, not just in football, in life. You see so many people misquoting things, or taking things out of context, and it's damaging, and it's wrong. The same thing happens here. It's going to be damaging for everybody if we take Justin Fields out of context. If we evaluate Justin Fields out of context, it's going to be damaging to the fan base, to the Bears organization, to Justin Fields himself, and to the future of the Bears needing a franchise quarterback. All of that will take a major hit if we judge him based on no context. We just judge him based on numbers and record, and that's it. This is a much different team. It's a different team than when Mitch Trubisky was here. I like Mitch Trubisky. You know I do, but at the end of the day, He also had a good team around him, right? He had good players around him. He had a good defense. He had some good wide receivers. And it worked, and everybody succeeded. Justin Fields has none of that, and he's going to have to work on himself and being good enough to overcome it in order to be better. So it's definitely a concern. It's something that I think everybody should be considering and thinking about. And my hope is that we just all evaluate him fairly and don't rush to judgment based on one bad number, a bad percentage, or a bad record. For to come here on Sports Talk Chicago, my exclusive interview with Olin Krutz and Jason McKee comes up next, so stay tuned. Sports Talk Chicago. Here we're to DeGloyland. We are back and ready for today's special guests. They're Chicago Bears legends and co-hosts of the No Name Football Podcast. Please welcome Olin Cruz and Jason McKee to the program. Guys, it's great to have you on. How are you?
2: It's good to be on. It's good to be on, John. I know uh, you know, me and Olin's excited about joining WCKG, and uh, we've been putting out pause for a minute, and it's finally good to, uh, to be able to grace the airways and get it out to more Bears fans.
1: Yeah, man, we're excited to be here, John, and especially like j said, uh, now that we're on your radio station, uh, we enjoy more and more fans getting to hear our unfiltered analysis of the Chicago Bears.
0: That's why I brought you guys on. I really appreciate the honesty in your guys' program. A lot of other places today don't really say what's on their mind or can't say what's on their mind. I appreciate that you guys always find a way to say the truth, and it resonates with the listeners for sure.
2: Yeah, I think I think nowadays uh, with today's radio and I don't want to speak for all the stations, but, you know, I think I think most people, you know, they would look at our show. And just because, you know, we're former players and alumni at the Chicago Bears, they would think that we would be homers. But, you know, I, I'm a high school coach and Olin, he does a lot of work with offensive linemen and he's really invested, you know, in the game. He still watches film like he's playing. So we just give our honest assessment about how the team is going in our in our eyes and our opinion. And, you know, obviously we always root for them because, you know, we're a part of that, that tradition and that, and that Bears organization forever. So, you know, we have a vested interest in them and hoping they do well. But we just give our honest assessment and opinion on the direction of the team.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and it's not always easy, right, J-Mac, to be as honest a, a, as possible, because, you know, uh, you're talking about a lot of people that we know and we know how hard it is in that building to win football games, how hard those guys are working and what they're up against a number of hours they're putting in. But at the end of the day, uh, the fans expect us to tell them what we see on film, uh, what we expect from the team. And, and if we're being honest right now, the Chicago bears haven't seen, uh, uh, you know, they haven't won a lot in the last 12, 10, 12 years, you know, 2018, uh, you know, they did make it to the playoffs, but other than that, uh, they haven't won a, won a lot of football games and haven't won, any playoff game since 2010, 2011. So we're trying to give our unfiltered analysis. We're trying to tell you honestly what we think about the team, what we think about their offensive and defensive schemes, what we think about the direction that they're moving in. And hopefully people realize that that's all we're trying to do is give you people that analysis that maybe, uh, like you guys are talking about, is missing some nowadays or some airways because a lot of people do have a conflict of interest and they do know people in that building. Uh, They do do appearances with them. They do still work with the Chicago Bears. As everybody knows uh, with what happened last year, uh, we really don't have a conflict of interest. Uh, Obviously, uh, (laughs) we pissed some people off in that building, right? Uh, The things we were saying, uh, you can see when uh, they mentioned my name to George, he almost bit his tongue off. So uh, George McCaskey, (laughs) and he said, you know, uh, take away with a grain of salt and all that kind of stuff. And really, like J-Mac knows me by now, uh, I, I don't really get offended by all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> I'm still going to tell you what I think about what I see. And, and J-Mac's going to do the same thing. And we actually enjoy it. We actually enjoy talking football. We actually enjoy talking about Chicago Bears. We enjoy talking high school football, which J-Mac is a great coach for Carmel Catholic. My two boys play for Loyola. Coach Holasek down there. So uh, big fans of Illinois football, big fans of Chicago Bears. And we love to talk about it.
0: How did you react to that comment, Olin, from George McCaskey when he did that?
1: At first, uh, I think, you know, a lot of people heard my first response. Um, it's just interesting, right? Because George knows me, uh, played a long time there for the Chicago Bears, talked a lot about their struggles, talked a lot about him and Ted Phillips' struggles since Ted's been in charge. Since George has been in charge, they haven't won a lot of football games. Uh, their decisions haven't e- hasn't equaled winning. So obviously he was offended by me coming after him, Ted Phillips, and Scott Hagel. But the way I felt personally was – I don't mind you say that, but at least be be a leader, be the owner of your football team, and call and reach out to me or pick up the phone when someone like Harry Heastan calls you to tell you the story, to tell you exactly what happened, to tell you about the job offer. Call me after and talk to me about the things that went on. But obviously, I have not heard from George. I have talked to maybe one person in the organization. I don't want to give his name. Uh, because, you know, I don't want him to get in trouble with Jordan McCaskey for talking to me. But uh, the way I felt about it is is obviously at first I'm going to fire back at him uh, because he questioned my credibility. And then after that, you would think he would be the leader of the organization, reach out to somebody who played 13 years for him, but you haven't even heard from them. But it doesn't shock me. They haven't won a lot of games with him in charge, which means he's not a good leader.
0: Do you think there should be a leadership change? Have they done enough in getting a new head coach and GM, or should there still be more change at the top?
1: Obviously, there should be change at the top of the Chicago Bears organization. They will not change. All you have to do is look at the results that they've gotten. I think since Ted Phillips took over as team president, uh, they've only been to three playoff games, right? Uh, It was the year in 2006 where we won two, and then um, we won two, and then went to the Super Bowl. And then it was in 2010, when we got the NFC Championship and, and I, I misspoke there, they've only won three playoff games, right? Mm-hmm. So they haven't won a lot of football games since these two men have been in charge, since Taylor Phillips has been in charge. So, yes, just by results, by any any business you do it, if you suck on the radio, they replace you. That's period, <laughs> right? So if, you bad, if you're if you bad for that long at winning football games like the Chicago Bears have been, there's no question there should be a change of leadership up there. But they own the team. They get to move in the direction that they want to move in it.
2: Yeah, and we, we talked about this, too, John, on, on our, our podcast in the past. Me and uh, Brother O talked about this. It goes back to, you know, as players, we do what we call self-evaluation. So we evaluate ourselves. We evaluate our play. Uh, we evaluate what we've been doing in terms of, you know, what we've been doing on the field. And there's really been no self-evaluation over at Hallis Hall because those guys are their heads. So what they've done is, what have they done year after year, right? They've replaced the head coach. They've replaced the GM. We've gone through that transition how many times now? And like Brother O said, the results have still been the same. You know, there hasn't been any change or any self-evaluation from the top. Why? Because who's holding those guys accountable? Where is the accountability, right? They make all the decisions. They're not answering to anybody. Nobody's self-evaluating their performance. So what do they do, right? It, it, it's a trick-a-down effect. They say, hey, you know, we can solve this culture issue. We can, we can solve this lack of success that we've been having by replacing the coach in replacing the GM, and then we, will you know, we need draft picks and stuff like that. But it goes beyond, you know, the coaches, the GMs. It, it's the organization as a whole. And me and brother O have talked about that in length on our podcast over and over again. It's an organizational culture change that needs to be brought about on Hollis Hall. You know, you got to look at it. I mean, it goes all the way down to like brother always says, the strength coach, the nutritionist. I mean, everybody has a job to do, and everybody's job is important for the uh, for the ultimate success of the football team. And if you're lacking in one area, right, it'll show up on Sundays. And what do you have? You have consistency in losing and not putting a productive product out there on
0: Soldier Field. What do you guys think of Brian Poles and Matt Eberplush?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, brother, I'll go first. I, li- I like Brian right. Poles. I know he uh, – you know, I like what me and brother last week on our podcast, uh, we, we played a clip uh, in which Brian Pioli talked about, um, you know, Brian Poles, about how he was – Kansas City and how he was with the interactions of him and the thing that we like that I like was you know his attention to detail they say he's a real he's real meticulous in his preparation and attention to detail and he'll leave no stone unturned so you know there's not going to be uh he's going to evaluate every situation are you looking now he just brought in the kill Harry a guy who's a former first round pick in the New England Patriots and and I know we're making a lot of news about this because it's the offseason and everybody's saying hey well it's to kill Harry hasn't produced in New England, but you bring in another big dynamic receiver who's getting another opportunity to revitalize career in Chicago. You know, so I I like what he's done. I like what he did in the draft, continue to bring in, you know, you you turn, you only had a few picks and you turn it into multiple picks. And then you bring in a a coach uh, like Matt Eberflus, who, you know, who's a really good uh, defensive coordinator, who's a new head coach, but a guy that can revitalize that defense, a guy who a lot of the, the coach players said they love playing for him. You know, a guy who's, you know, hopefully he can come in and, and really change his culture and put his stamp on his culture and uphold the culture. You know, it's one thing to come in and, and start a, lay a foundation, but it's another thing as a coach. If you're not walking that foundation daily and your assistant coaches ain't walking that foundation and living that culture daily, then that culture slips. And once that culture slips, you can't get it back.
1: Yeah, it's, it's funny. Last week on our podcast, we talked about July positive, right? We were July positive <laughs> about the Chicago Bears. <laughs> Well, we're also new regime positive, right? We're new regime, and yeah. uh, Ryan Pose is a young guy. It's a big job at Hallis Hall for a young general manager uh, to change the culture that we talked about. But uh, the things he talks about, obviously, music to my ears. He wants to fix the offensive and defensive lines. He didn't do much in the draft and or the offseason to fix either, and and we've heard a lot about the, how the scheme's going to help everybody. We've heard that before here. So it's a wait and see for these young guys. Uh, the way the new strength coach uh, is going to work with these young guys and develop these football players. Because to be honest, John, they got to get guys who are top ten in their position in the NFL. That's how you win football games. you got to get blue-chip football players, and then you got to have really good coaches. So the higher coach, Eberflus, who a lot of guys I have respect for, Rod Marinelli, uh, the guys who knew him throughout the NFL, have a lot of respect for the things he does and the way he does things. Now, I've never been a head coach in the NFL. So this is a really wait-and-see football team that we got going on, man. They got Luke Getz. I mean, I don't know what Luke Gets. I don't know what offense he's going to run. We assume that he runs the Green Bay Packers offense, the Lafleur offense, the Shanahan offense, that tree. We assume we're going to see that, but I really don't know what he's going to do out there. This offensive coaching staff has never worked together. We don't know a lot of them. The defense staff from the coast comes over. Uh, we know they lean on takeaways. They lean on hustle. But like I told you, I got to look at their roster and say, okay, on this roster, who is top three in their position? Uh, Robert Quinn, Roquan Smith. Can Jalen Johnson keep improving? Can they get Eddie Jackson back to getting takeaways, getting turnovers, being a dynamic safety that they're paying him to be? And then where do they get their pass rush from? Where do they get their interior pressure from, which is most important to this defense? They didn't get Joby, right? Larry Joby fell through because so it's physical. So they got Justin Jones, who's playing nose guard. This, I don't know. Right, offensive line. Who's playing offensive line? Who's playing wide receiver? Do they have a number one wide receiver? Does Cole commit, take a step? How does Montgomery look in the outside zone? Man, this team has so many questions. But you're excited about them having new blood, new energy in their building because we knew already that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy were not working at that time at Hallis Hall.
2: You're going off of what Brother O said too. You know, we talk about he talked about guys being you know the top at their position. You know you're going to have guys on that roster who aren't going to be the top at their position. You're going to have new guys that you brought in. You know, you brought in some guys you signed via free agency. You brought in guys, obviously draft picks, but you know, the guys who are there, you know, the leaders who are there, like brother Mitch you got Eddie Jackson on that defense. You got Jalen Johnson, right? They're going to be thrust into a position of leadership, right? They're going to be thrust in a position where they're going to have to mentor and help these young guys succeed. Eddie Jackson should be a mentor for Drayquan Brisker. Jalon Johnson should be a mentor for Kyler Gordon, right? Because if, they, if, if they're if they holding themselves and holding themselves like a pro, right, the young guys see that and they want to emulate that, what the pro, what the guys who have been there and who've had success in this league, what they're doing. And that uh, 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 will help their development rise, will help their development pick up faster. So I think when you have those guys, right, they, they may be roles that they're not used to. We know Jalen Johnson is still a young corner in this league, but he's automatically put in a position of leadership just because he's been on that defense for a long time. And the coaches, Eberflus and assistant coaches, they're going to be counting on these guys to take that leadership role to help aid in this development process of the young guys.
0: Olin Krutz and Jason McKee here on Sports Talk Chicago, WCKG the No Name Football podcast. How committed are the Bears to Justin Fields right now?
1: Well, they're, they're committed to him. Um... Because another, again, we're in this situation where another regime takes the quarterback, right? We had that with Mitch Trubisky. So another regime takes the quarterback early. He is their starting quarterback right now. And they're as committed as as he plays next year, as well as he plays next year, as well as he adapts to Luke Gessie's system. These coaches don't really know what they have in Justin Fields. We all know we watched him last year, the San Francisco 49ers game. He was dynamic with his feet and uh, um, that run he did down there in the red zone. That was a dynamic run. He broke some tackles. The play fell apart, scored a touchdown anyway. He walked on the field uh, in Pittsburgh, and they needed a touchdown. And and when you watched him walk through that huddle, John and Jay Mack, you knew they were going to score a touchdown. He was that confident. That's the swagger that the city of Chicago uh, has needed a quarterback now since since the Chicago Bears pretty much started playing with Jim McMahon, Sid Luckman, and now hopefully Justin Fields can take that mantle. But uh, they're committed to him. Honestly, if I'm the coach here, if I'm the GM, I'm committed to him this year. I'm committed to him this year. I'm going to see what he does, see how he develops, see what his character is, see if he's a multiplier, a force multiplier, makes everybody around them better on the football team. That is the number one job of the quarterback. But now let me tell you this right now. This Green Bay offense, if they're running LeFleur's system, this is a package offense. And let me explain that to you. You go to the line of scrimmage with two plays, a run play and a pass play or a run play and a run play or a pass play and a pass play. And a quarterback has to read the defense and put everybody in the best position and pick the best play for his team. So that is going to be a big job for Justin Fields. I think if it gets to a point where he struggles with that, and Luke Getzey and Coach Eberflus and Ryan Pose noticed that, uh, we could see them eventually not be as committed as they should be to a starting quarterback who's young and seems to have a ton of potential.
2: Yeah, and, and if I'm Luke Getzey, and I hope this has happened before, and I'm not sure if me and brother have talked about this on the pod in the past, but I'm pretty sure we did. You know, I think Luke Getzey, you know, he should have made a call to Ohio State and wherever the OC is over there and say, hey, you know what? What are some of the things that, you know, you guys did with Justin? What are some of the things that he did well? What are some of the things that made him comfortable? You know what I mean? Get as much information about how to make him successful uh, in terms of things he did in the past while he was at Ohio State. And then I'm not saying, yeah, you bring the whole offense over, but you've got to find ways to make this guy comfortable because obviously we've seen – the difference in game plans of last year, in, in which you look at the Cleveland game, he didn't even have a chance to step back, set, and throw. He's getting sacked every five seconds. But then you look at the San Francisco game that Brother o talked about, where they did some things where they moved him out of pocket, but they utilized his whole athleticism as a whole. Right? You gave him some runs. You moved him out of the pocket. Right? You made him comfortable, and we saw what he did. So you know, hopefully, they did their homework, and they, they've been they've been going back and forth, determining what makes him comfortable what things they can do to help him succeed as a quarterback, but also the pieces around him, what they can do to help him, you know, make those other guys uh, elevate those guys play as well, in terms of being a multiplier, like brother O said, you know, what else can he do to elevate the play of Darnell Mooney? What else can he do to bring along a Bron- uh, uh, Byron Pringle? So, you know, those are things that I hope that Getzy has done already this offseason.
0: How problematic will this wide receiving core be for him, or should that even be a problem?
1: It's going to be problematic, right? They're looking for guys who are dynamic with the ball in their hands. And and obviously, they get Velas Jones. And and they get him because I think they said he had 280-plus yards after contact, right? The guy is a dynamic football player. Last year at the University of Tennessee, great return man. Those are the kind of guys that this offense is looking for, man. Uh, Alex Brown always says, our former teammate, and me and J-Mac, always appear on our podcast, 88 out the gate. And that means they catch the ball, they make guys miss, they break tackles and they go. Uh, they took another guy running back, Tristan Ebner, late in the uh, sixth round. He was another guy who has a lot of missed tackles. So you can see the kind of guys they're looking for, dynamic, the ball in their hands. The, the problem with this wide receiver core to me is everybody's good at something, but they're not, a, besides Darnell Mooney, who's shown to be pretty good, uh, they're not a complete package. So if I'm a defense coordinator and these guys walk on the field, I say, okay, they want to do this with him. And I just take that away. So uh, this, until they prove to us different, to be honest with you, uh, I, that is that's every position on the Bears' offense. Until someone ascends and becomes a better football player, until Darnell Darnell Mooney becomes a number one wide receiver, until Vilas Jones actually dominates on the NFL level, until Cole Kmet turns into a, 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 one thing you don't talk about this outside zone system. You know who is the most important blocker on every of these outside zone system teams? The tight end. The tight end and the fullback are extremely important on setting the edge and getting the, the wide receiver, the running back room to run, right? So if you can ask me about the wide receivers, John, but this whole offense, if I go through it, you're going to say the same thing about all of it. They got to develop these guys. They got to get better. They got to find blue chip NFL football players.
2: Yeah, and on the flip side, you talk about, you know, so many question marks on this offense, receiver, offense, blind, you know, a lot of things, quarterback. Uh, I think the good thing is in, in this league and when you have young guys, right, we have a collection of young talent on this offensive side of the ball, right? But the thing that they're going to get is they're going to get an opportunity. And I was a young guy coming in this league looking for an opportunity. And, you know, some of these guys w- will take it and they'll make the most of it. And some of these guys, they'll fold under pressure. And I think what this, what uh, Pose and Eberflus is hoping that they brought the right talent in terms of their evaluation and in terms of guys who are going to go out there and make the most of their opportunity. Because when you look at his receiving core, I mean, the only guy that's really proven is Darnell Mooney. You look at Pringle, he's a question mark because he had so many guys around him in Kansas City. You know, you had a Travis Kelsey, you had a Tyreek Hill, you had, uh, you know, Patrick Mahomes throwing you the ball. You look at uh, St. Brown, who was in Green Bay, didn't really have an opportunity that much. He showed some flashes, but he wasn't the guy. You know, you look at Baylor Jones, a young guy they drafted, you know, a guy who they're hoping – turn out to be the type of player that they envisioned when they drafted him. So it's a lot of question marks that will need to be answered and in which we'll get answers here in a few months. But, you know, I know the bears organization is hoping that a lot of these guys that they brought in pan out uh, to, to a way to help they pan out in terms of their evaluation.
0: What are the main criteria you guys will use in judging Justin Fields? I mean, if these wide receivers aren't good enough, how, how can we determine whether or not he had a good year himself and separate that from some of the offense's deficiencies?
2: It's just consistency. I think with, with quarterback play, you know, you look at you look at things like, all right, we talked about being a multiplier, I'm obviously elevating the play of people around you, right? And yet the wide receivers aren't great, but you've got to do your job. You've got to protect the football, right? You've got to be a leader. You know, you're going to have to make plays. You know, you're going to have to find ways to, to sh- distribute the ball to your guys in, in positions to where, you know, they're comfortable. You know, like Ola said, you have a lot of guys in that receiving core who are good at one thing or, or good at two things but not good You know, not complete wide receivers. That's why they may have been bounced around or been drafted in later rounds. But you have to find what they're good at. Right. And you have to highlight those talents. And I think that's going to help, you know, lead to their success. You know, Justin, he has to do his best to to make the offensive line better. You know, don't take unnecessary sacks. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, you do have a new offensive line. You're going to have a new starting five up there. So he has to understand that, you know, he has to do his job and be a consistent, have consistency to be an elite quarterback in this league.
1: Yeah, as a quarterback for Justin Fields, when when we're watching him, because you know he's such a dynamic athlete, so you're going to see these dynamic plays he makes with his feet. Uh, I think he showed last year really like his leadership. I think it was a Cleveland game uh, when they played really bad. Uh, you could say obviously the game plan was really bad to go uh, five man protection versus the Cleveland Browns front. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't suggest that for any offense with a young quarterback, but. He came to the podium immediately and said, we got to get better. Uh, This starts with me. So his leadership is the first thing you evaluate. I think he showed that pretty good last year. You know, he's dynamic. So you want, you start to say to yourself, okay, can he process information in the pocket? And like J-Max said, does the ball get out fast? And is he making his offensive line better? And how do we define that? Uh, Do I see him making calls on the field, letting his offensive line know where the blitz may be coming from, where to slide the protection, where the run game is going, uh, does, is he putting the ball where it should be? Is he throwing it to the receiver who is open, dictated by the scheme the defense is running? And I know these are hard things for fans who are watching just to see and know, but you can kind of see when you pour over the film whether the scheme is good or the talent is not good enough or Justin Fields is struggling. So we're, we're, we're all in this. Uh, what do we evaluate uh, Another Luke Getzi by if their whole offense has no talent? So how do you evaluate Luke Getzi? So all these guys – all these things we're going to be watching. Uh, if everybody around him, John, I'll be honest with you, if if the question is, if everybody around him is bad, how do you evaluate Justin Fields? The answer is you can't. Yeah. That's the answer.
0: <laughs> what do you guys expect out of the Bears for this season right now?
1: You don't expect them to be really good, right, <laughs> uh, unless some people develop. You don't expect them to go to the playoffs at all. You expect them right around, you know, Five to seven wins, unless they shock you, right? Unless they, you know, uh, uh, Justin Fields comes out and, man, this guy is a top seven, eight quarterback in the NFL. He's making plays. Darnell Mooney is dynamic. Roquan Smith adjusted adjusted a new scheme, and he looks great there, middle linebacker in this one-gap scheme. Justin Jones actually is a three-technique, which is the most important position on this team. This defense is like the 2018 version that had 36 takeaways and they lead the league in takeaways. You don't expect very much from this football team. Uh, they're going to have a very big chip on their shoulder and they're going to have to prove a lot of us wrong, a lot of these players. But let's put it this way, man, J-Mac, like you talked about. What an opportunity for these guys, man. What an opportunity to come out here for Tevin Jenkins, Jenkins, Larry Borum, uh, uh, Braxton Jones, a young tackle. and stay, Take a job. Earn a job. Get out there. Elevate your game. Is Lucas Patrick who Ryan Poles thinks he is? These are stuff we don't know. Yeah,
2: and we've been in locker rooms too, brother, where, you know, going into the season, the expectations was very low. I mean, you look at Lovey's first year, we weren't that good. And then the following year, we had an opportunity to go to the playoffs. And, you know, when, you know, as players, you hear the media talking, you hear them saying that, oh, they're not good, this question mark here. And, you know, they may be talking about you personally, and you hear all that stuff. So you get an opportunity to go out there and change, and change uh, you know, the outlook on what they're saying, right? Obviously what they're saying doesn't matter, but but the good players, they use it as motivation. They use it as fuel. And I hope a lot of these young guys understand the opportunity that they have at hand. You know, they get an opportunity to become a household name. They get an opportunity to help change this thing and help get the Bears back on the winning track. And, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what, what David Montgomery is going to do. You know, he's been a guy mm-hmm. I think that's been disrespected his whole offseason. You know, I'm a huge David Montgomery fan. You know people are questioning can he run the outside zone? You know, I feel like David Montgomery is definitely in every down back, and I think he's the top 10 back in this league. And I tweeted out uh yesterday, you know, John Madden, they came out with their, their Madden running back rankings and in the top 10. And, and you know, David Montgomery's not even in a conversation. And I saw you know a couple guys on the list that I feel like David Montgomery's better than. So you know a mm-hmm. lot of question marks. Darnell Mooney, right? Are you a guy or are you a one-trick pony? Anybody can have one good season, but can you take the next step? and be that number one that you're going to have the opportunity to be. Because we know on the opposite side, you know, Allen Robinson isn't there. So all the focus is going to be on you right now. Can you handle that pressure? Can you handle the spotlight and still deliver like you did last year? But not just deliver like you did last year, be even better than you were last year. Because this team's going to need it. You know, I think defensively, you know, let's hope everflus comes in and he can bring a scheme in, in which, you know, we can stop people from scoring. Because we know offensively, The one thing that we haven't done in the past here in Chicago is score points. So you're going to have to lean on a defense Mm. that's going to be missing a Khalil Mack. You know, you're going to have to lean on the defense in which you've had Eddie Jackson. His play has been up and down. You're going to lean on a defense that may have a starting, another starting safety in Jaquan Brisker, who's a rookie. You know, who's the other corner opposite Jalen Johnson? Jalen Johnson, can you take the next step and be that elite shutdown corner? You know, one of the corners like, like Chicago's used to having, like we used to have with Peanut Tillman. You know, like we used to have with the Nate Basher, guys like that. So a lot of question marks, like, you know, me and brother have been saying for weeks on our podcast that will be answered sooner than later.
0: How much did you guys listen to sports radio when you guys played? Uh, how did that affect you?
1: I didn't, I didn't listen very much, to be honest, to sports radio uh, when I played. Uh, obviously sometimes on the way home you would listen to Doug and OB because they were pure entertainment, right? Um, But if you heard someone wrote something negative about you or said something negative about you, uh, that obviously affects you because, um, especially if it gets to your family, because they bring it up to you. Uh, You always want to prove everybody wrong. But, you know, it's it's not like you're worried about it all the time. It pisses you off at the moment. Anybody says you're bad at something. If you're competitive, that'll piss you off. I remember I always joke with David Hall. Uh, David Hall, obviously, on the score now in the mornings. He was a, a writer for the Tribune for years. Uh, he wrote at one point that I should, the Bears should get rid of me and move on, right? And I always remember that because that pissed me off that he, that he wrote that. But uh, obviously, being his friend now, we just joke about that kind of stuff. But uh, you can use it to motivate you, right? You, you do hear the things people are saying about you, especially when they're saying bad things about you. And I just want to go back real quick because we want to always help out people who cover the Bears. I, I just really hope people stop saying that the Bears are putting in a new run scheme. They have run outside zone now. They ran a ton of outside zone last year, okay? So a lot of their plays were outside zone. So uh, are they committed to the run game? Does their play action pass come off of the run game? That's what you're looking for. This is not a new run scheme. They ran a million outside zones last year. Actually, They actually measured an outside zone last year for anybody who was watching film. But will they tie their whole offense to the outside zone run play is what they're doing. So for all you guys on the radio, Uh, Just so you sound like you're actually talking about. That's what you need to say. (laughs) Boom, 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 boom.
0: (laughs) Take that. Take that. Jason, what about you? When was something written negatively about you? Did that affect you?
2: Um, like, like brother said, I didn't really listen to the radio a lot. Um, you know, I didn't, you know, in the paper, didn't really read, didn't really have time to read the paper. You know, I was really, you know, invested in, you know, my job, you know, being a guy who, you know, came in this league is as, as undrafted and, and came to Chicago and had a great opportunity and, you know, felt like I made the most of it. You know, I was just focused on my job and, you know, for me, I never cared about what the outsiders were saying. My thing is I always cared about my play because I wanted to make sure that my teammates valued what I was doing you know what I mean so you know, I played for myself but I also played for my teammates and the bond and brotherhood that we had in that locker room you know it was it was bigger than just being teammates you know we were like family so you know for me you know in the backfield if I didn't make my block you know I was pissed because you know I let Thomas Jones down you know I let Cedric Benson down I let Adrian Peterson down so that's the way I approached everything that's the way I approached my preparation uh that's the way I approached the game in practice
0: How'd you two become close as teammates, a fullback and a center?
2: Yeah, I remember So the, I remember the first time uh, I met Brother O, I, I came to Chicago. <laughs> and I actually came, I came, uh, I came, training camp, they were in training camp for about a week, so I got here late. And I remember I was being taped in the training room, and uh, I'm getting taped, and you know, Brother O's in the, in the training room, and he's, you know, he's in there, he's talking, and he's cracking jokes, and he's being Brother O, and I'm thinking, man, like, man, who is this guy, like? You no, know, he's cracking jokes, and nobody's really cracking jokes back at him. I'm like, hey, who is this dude right here? Right? So I'm getting taped, and a brother looks at me, and I'm like, oh, why is the dude looking at me? And he goes, uh, you know, Tim Breen was our head strength, our head uh, athletic trainer back then. And he says, hey, Breen, he says, hey, where do we get this guy right here? Where do we get this guy, prison? <laughs> 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 I was like, oh, man, and I, I was mad. Hey, man, you was mean mugging everybody. That's why I was wondering where you were from. Hey John, I was just saying I, I was new, so you know I'm just I'm scoping out. I'm an, I'm a very observant person, so I'm <laughs> scoping the scene out. And he goes, and he goes, where did they get this guy? Prison? So I was mad, and you know, I wanted to say something back, but it was so funny I could I just had to laugh. And I was like, man, okay. I was like, this guy is the alpha male of the locker room. So that that was the first my first interaction with Brother Owen. You know, obviously, uh, you know, a fullback we're like a we're like a pulling guard in the backfield, man. So, you know we the back the funny thing is on our, on our team the, the the backs and the offense line was really close you know we would we're always together you know and we always would crack jokes in the huddle you know myself thomas jones olin and brother rube and you know we just had a, a, a tight bond and it just continued to grow and you know brother O, like i said like you know people what people don't realize about brother O is, is he's one of the most he's one obviously he's one of the most honest people that i know but he's one of the most giving people that i know you know he a lot of things that people don't see, he gives back his time. I mean, he's he's training people. I mean, he's always making himself available to help people. And I think that's what, you know, people that don't know Brother o, they don't realize that about him. He's got a great heart. And, uh, you know, he's tough. He's tough as nails, but he's got a great heart. And I think that's why, you know, our friendships continue to grow. And, you know, we had all the time. We crack jokes. And he's just like – he's honestly like a big brother. He's like the big brother that I never had.
1: Man, he's trying to ruin my reputation, John. One <laughs> swing, man. They gonna be trying you on Twitter now. <laughs> I'm, now. I'm, 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 hey, I'm not a good guy. I don't have a big heart. Don't believe that stuff. But uh, <laughs> obviously, like J. Mac is saying, he gets there in 2003. He's an undrafted guy. We are a power run team. Uh, listen, we used to look up J. Mac and attest to this. Uh, Thomas Jones can Anthony Thomas from back in 2002 can attest okay. to this. Um, when we looked up Cedric Benson, it was goal line, right? Guys didn't respect our pass game. People didn't really respect our quarterbacks too much. So uh, it was kind of like we had to put a hard hat on and we were going to get yards no matter what. No matter what they lined up in, no matter what they try to take away. I remember when I got to New Orleans, I looked up and I thought to myself, where is everybody? Because with Drew Brees, they don't have to stack the box, right? I thought, I remember telling the New Orleans offensive line, like you guys don't really play in the real NFL. If you play Drew Brees, uh, this is easy. But uh, obviously you can't help but respect J-Mac. Uh, you, everybody knows, uh, he, you know, he gives his time to the kids. He's a coach, at Carmel Catholic. He teaches football. He has a gym. He's always teaching people, always helping, always promoting the game. Uh, he's always giving back. And just the way – as far as just respecting him when he played, nobody worked harder. Nobody started the game more. Uh, was willing to do special teams. Was willing to block somebody. Whatever he had to do to help us win the game. So my respect and admiration for him obviously started there. After uh, football ended, we would meet up sometimes and we would box. At my gym or his gym. Uh, We just had kind of had that in common uh, gyms and working out and training and boxing. And we would always talk football. We would always talk about football and what the Bears were doing. And at that time, I was doing a bunch of radio and TV, um, uh, you know, before I got fired, obviously. But but J Mac, uh, you know, I thought to myself, if I ever do a podcast, uh, this is the guy. This is the guy I want. You know, it's, it's really nice to talk to somebody who's actually done it, who's actually coaching the game. Actually, play the game. Actually, understand what it what it takes. So that's why we really enjoy just talking the game, uh, our admiration for the game, our love for the game of football. I hope comes out in our podcast.
0: What more do you expect from the podcast?
1: Uh, you know, we really just what we expect is what we're giving the fans. So we don't have like expectations for it. Uh, we expect to be honest. We expect to say what we see, no matter how people react to it. This is really. What, what you know, when, when I'm talking, I won't speak for j but this is really what I see. This is what I see on film. This is really what I think is going on in the building. And that's all I expect uh, when we get the microphone. And then uh, it's kind of grown into, uh, you know, hopefully giving advice to younger football players about playing more sports. Don't get tied up into one sport. Uh, how to play football, how to work, how to get better at the game of football. And then, uh, you know, j had a great idea about shining more light on high school football in Illinois. So those are some of the things we expect from the podcast.
2: Yeah. And the funny thing, John, too, is, you know, when people listen to our podcast, what they don't realize is, I mean, the interaction between me and brother, it's like we're talking in the locker room. So we actually have a podcast before that's really not even recorded because we talk about so much football before we hit record, you know, uh, before we hit record on our podcast. Uh, So it's just like us being in the locker room again. And, And for us, No, we love football. You know, like I said, Brother O, he watches film all the time. I watch film all the time. You know, I'm texting Brother O, bouncing ideas off of him about my team. He's sending me ideas. You know, it's just – we're just football guys. And I think when, you know, you retire, some guys retire and they want to get away from the game completely. We retired, right, but this is our way of continuing to be close to the game. So, if we can give our honest assessment and views about the Chicago Bears and give back to the Bears fans, that's what we want to do because – you know, we have a, a huge respect for the Bears fans, obviously, and I say it all the time, this is one of the best cities that I've ever played in, the best fan base. Uh, and, you know, we're thrilled to be able to interact with the fans. You know, Brother O is always tweeting back with the fans. I'm tweeting back with the fans. And, you know, we just want to give back and just show our admiration for the Bears as a whole, but also build a, a, a bigger connection with, with the fans in general.
0: How nice is it to be independent and not be indebted to a company or, you know, somebody telling you what to say?
1: Yeah, that, that's huge, man. It's huge to just be, be free to just talk and, and give your ideas and not worry about, like, you're saying, uh, did you offend somebody? Is it right to, to say those things? And, and to actually give your opinion on, on what you think is going on. Like J-Mac said, to be honest, um, I, we, always, we always laugh about it because George said that you should take what I say with a grain of salt. And he's right because the podcast we do before the podcast—that <laughs> would be the one without the grain of salt. So that would be the one yeah. that's really, really what we think. Uh, uh, to be honest with you, we, we give you our, as much as we can, but we try to water it down in case there's any young kids listening or or other people listening to the podcast. But uh, we we love coming on there, uh, lo- and it's almost like therapy for old ball players to talk football, to give your ideas, uh, uh, to talk about how they should what they should do to fix their team. What you do to fix your office, Because uh, we feel like we're, we're kind of untapped resources, right? That we do know, uh, uh, I you know how to develop a young football player. Uh, I I would I would argue that J Mac knows more about developing their young fullback blasting game than anybody in that Hallis Hall. So, uh, you know, like they did have uh, credit to them. They did reach out to see Peanut Tillman talking to the team. We talked about it on the last podcast. Nobody better to talk to the team, but. Uh, there are a lot of untapped resources uh, in the Illinois Chicago area that 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 you feel like you can help the young guys and help the team, and that's why, like J said, with our gyms, I have a, young, a lot of young offensive linemen that come through, and you're just trying to help them develop their game. Yeah, I think uh, you know, just just
2: going back off what of Olm says too. You know, I'll go into the high school aspect. You know, we talk about a lot of high school football. You know, obviously, Olm's both his boys played at Leola, uh, had a lot of success over there is you know, a great coach there and you know me being uh, a new high school coach and you know i'm seeing you know living now not seeing but living uh on a day-to-day basis what these guys do right in terms of what they do for the kids like they really help mold these kids into men through the game of football and i think a lot of times it goes unnoticed you know these guys aren't making million dollar millions of dollars to coach but the task that they have at hand it's a ton of stuff i mean you're you're the equipment manager, you know, you're the mentor, you're the father figure, you're the coach, you know, you're, I mean, you're a lot of things, you hold many hats as a high school head coach and I, and you know, that's why, you know, me and brother O, you know, like to highlight high school football and we'll have a segment, you know, coming soon where we're going to actually start highlighting high school coaches, right. To highlight what they do, right. Because they're so important in shaping our future. You know, they're going to change the trajectory of young men's lives. And, you know, if you're just, if you're just a good coach, then you failed as a coach, right you gotta be a, you got to be a game changer. you got to be a life changer. And that's what, you know, that's what I've tried to do. And I know a lot of these coaches here in Chicagoland do the same thing. So, now I respect all of them. You know, I'm going to go against a lot of them uh, this fall. And, you know, no holds barred. But at the end of the day, when we shake hands, now I respect each and every one of them because of what they do in terms of helping our young kids become men.
0: What to Come with Olin Krutz and Jason McKee. In just a moment, stay tuned. This is Sports Talk Chicago. Colin Croots and Jason McKee here on WCKG Sports Talk Chicago and the No Name Football Podcast guys what are the best moments you've had individually playing football
2: um well okay i go first I guess um yeah I man just you know a, a lot of great moments I think you know the first one I'd say is you know my me as being an undrafted free agent you know making my first you know roster and starting my first NFL game you know I, I grew up in a military household and my dad was real strict so I tell everybody, you know, the first NFL game I ever went to was one I played in. <laughs> so it was, you know, that was that was that was a huge huge accomplishment for me and then, you know, obviously going to the playoffs for the first time in 2005 and then obviously that culminating and us going to the Super Bowl in 2006. But, you know, being able to have that moment and achieve that pinnacle, but being able to achieve that pinnacle with the with the guys that we had in that locker room, the brotherhood that we had and, and seeing firsthand the sacrifice and commitment that everybody made as a whole in order to get there you know I think that's something that you know I'll never forget and that's something that you know I'm most proud of
1: yeah I, I think for me you know we we ended up winning St. Louis high, I went to St. Louis high school in Honolulu Hawaii it's a it's a powerhouse there uh, Cal and Ron Lee were our coaches uh, winning three state titles while I was in high school was obviously amazing man and then you know, I get to go on the University of Washington, play football games there, go to bowl games. And I actually got to play in the same stadium I played high school in was my last bowl game. We played Michigan State, we played Nick Saban, uh, University of Washington versus Michigan State. So I got to go home for my last college uh, game and play in front of my friends and family. Obviously, it was I think it was like JMac it was like eight hundred tickets, man. Like, remember you just had to write in everybody's name? <laughs> yeah, that, that was crazy. So uh, <laughs> that was a moment uh, I'll never forget. And then, obviously, you get to the NFL, you play games. But I got to go home and play Pro Bowl, a uh, Pro Bowl in the same stadium in front of my family and friends, and that's amazing for me. And then JMac talked about uh, getting to the playoffs. We got there in two thousand and two. We lost to the Eagles. Uh, we got there in two thousand and five. We lost to the Panthers. And in two thousand and six, working your way to the Super Bowl. Uh, that season was kind of a dream, man. I know it was. I think we went fifteen and three in all games we played in. So you know, the last game we really didn't play, so that loss to me doesn't really count. But uh, obviously, losing the Super Bowl sting—it still hurts today, man. But like j Max said, going to the Super Bowl, uh, watching Virginia McCaskey hold her dad's trophy on that stage at Soldier Field with the snow coming down—there's uh, never been a better moment than that, right? I mean, that was an amazing moment for me in my football career. Uh, so there's been so many moments in football. The game has been so good to me that, like j Max said, that's why you keep trying to get back to the game.
0: Olin, do you think you're a Hall of Famer?
1: Um, it's, it's a hard question because I, I think if you're a Hall of Famer, uh, you don't have to answer that question, right? I, I think other people say it for you, and hopefully you get it to the Hall of Fame. I know I'm the only guy on the 2000 all-decade offensive line that is not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, So that is for other people to decide. That's not for me to decide. Do I feel like I played on a Hall of Fame level? Obviously, if you ask the guy, yes. I feel like I I was a good football player. I feel like I was a good center. Uh, I feel like um, I I played a lot of games. I went nine years without missing a game. I feel like I was a dominant center for a long time. I felt like I was the highest-paid center in the league almost the whole time I played, which says something. Um, for who people think was the best center at that time. But um, like I said, I know I'm giving my argument anyway, but <laughs> like I said, I don't I don't feel – I never really get into that because I feel like if people feel like you're a Hall of Fame center, you don't have to say it.
2: Yeah, I, think, I, think, I think, too, John, like, you know, brother, he always always, always say the same. I always tell brother, man, you're going to be a Hall of Famer. And he always – you know, he always – he doesn't like to comment on it. But, you know, I, I say this, right? Ask, ask the guys who he played against. Is he a Hall of Famer, right? And nine out of 10 of them guys is going to say yes, right? The guy who says no, he's probably going to say no because he got his ass whipped, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but ask nine out of 10 guys, you know, in terms of the preparation, right, in terms of what Olin did, in terms of his leadership and the way he upheld the culture on our team. You know I mean? I'm a huge advocate of, of obviously being his teammate, but I'm not being a homer, but I see what he did firsthand, Right. Olin's making the checks on offense. You know, he's asking, he's making all the checks. He's the first guy in the weight room, right? He's out at practice, practicing like we're going, like we're playing a playoff game, right? He was a pro's pro and a lot of us in that locker room, and I can attest for you know all our teammates, and I'll speak for them on this on this right here. Olin was a consummate pro and a lot of guys tried to emulate what he did on a daily basis. And then on Sunday, his body of work speaks for himself. So is his body of work a hall of fame body of work without question? But we can go even further. Ask anybody who's lined up against him whether or not he's Hall of Famer, and
1: there's your
0: answer. How would it feel, Olin, to get in at some point?
1: You know, to be honest, John, I mean, I feel amazing just because I love the game of football, right? Um, but I think you, at some point, you wanted more for your family to enjoy, for them to, so you can, so you can actually get to the stage and thank everybody who helped you get there. That, I think, would be the moment that that would be the reason I, I would love to get in the Hall of Fame. So you could stand on that stage and roll through all the people who helped you and thank them and just say thank you for because no one does it by themselves. The game is too hard. Uh, there's people supporting you all along the way. And then you finally get a moment in front of the you know, football world and in front of them on a stage to thank them. Uh, that's why I think it would be important.
0: Let me ask you two this. This might be a personal question. Who were the easiest players for you guys to overcome in a matchup when you played?
2: Oh, man. Uh, well, for me, I mean, I, nobody, really. Everybody was good. Mm-hmm. We we're, were in a tough division. And, brother, oh, he'll speak about this when, when he goes. But, I mean, we we played some tough defenses, man. I mean, Detroit had mm-hmm. a great defense. They may not have had the record to show it, but they had a tough defense. I mean, Green, Green Bay was always good. Minnesota had a tough defense. So, you know, we were at NFC North, but we were like the black and blue division, especially, you know, like Olin said, we were seeing eight man boxes all the time, you know. So we were, <laughs> we talk about, we and Brother talk about it all the time. Everybody's lined up in the box. So it was a battle. It was war each and every play. So, you know, I never looked at, I never took any opponent lightly. You know, like I said before, I did, I did my best to make sure that I was prepared. Uh, so, you know, it, it was a great opportunity. It was, it was a way different NFL back then than it is now.
1: And I'll just mm-hmm. yeah, so I never I never took anybody's life. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, John, to be honest, uh, it's really not that question is not a very good question. So uh, <laughs> let me just let me just say this. Just look at the numbers yeah. of how many high school guys actually play college, which, you know the numbers drop astronomically, and then college guys to the NFL. So I would have to go back and give you names from high school the last time I thought I had an easiest an easy day. And I don't want to embarrass them because they didn't play college anyway. So, um, listen, uh, in the NFL, these are the .01% of football players in the world. The backups are the best players in college. The backups were team captains. The practice squad guys were team captains on their college football team. They were all-stars in high school. Um, I never had an easy day in the NFL, man, never. I mean, I might have told the guy. Uh, He was easy, but he wasn't. He he was tough. I had to prepare for them. I had to study. I remember studying the third-string nose guard and thinking to myself, damn, I mean, where is the break? I I remember one time, J-Mac, we went to Buffalo in 2000. Ted Washington was the starting center – I mean, starting nose guard. Pat Williams, the former former nose guard for the Minnesota Vikings, was his backup. That was the longest day I ever had on a football field. Those two guys – I mean – Gosh, I left that day. I think I slept for two days after that game.
2: <laughs> yeah, I always love the story, brother. You you told it on the pod a few weeks back. I forget which pod it was, but you talked about how uh, it went down and played Dallas, and the starting was it the starting nose tackle was out, and the backup was in, and, yeah. and I'm like wow, you're like man, I wish to dominate him. Well, it, that it, that, it.
1: that was actually here, right? So Jason Ferguson yeah. Yeah. is a starting nose uh, nose guard. I'm watching – uh, I think they played on Monday Night Football the week before, and I'm thinking, oh, he's out. He blew his <laughs> triceps. And, and even our – yeah, J-Mac, even our game plan that week was to dominate this practice squad nose guard. Yeah. And the first time he hit me, I went to the side and I said, this guy's no joke. I don't know who he is, but I'm not going to – like, we're not just going to blow him out of there." Jeremiah Rattler. Yeah. He was, a, he was a, a practice squad defensive end. They moved a the nose guard. The next year he was a pro bowler.
2: And Unbelievable, that, and
1: that, man. And that's what, Unbelievable. We mean,
2: John, that's what we mean, John, by like Brother O said, the backups are, you know, the best, the best of the best at playing this game in the world. And, you know, a lot of these guys, right, they come in looking for an opportunity. They're thirsty. They're starving to one go to the right team, get in the right scheme. That's going to give them an opportunity to showcase their talent. So when they get a chance to to showcase their talents against a perennial pro bowler like a Olin recruits they're going to give you everything they got. And that's everything, where, man. And that's what we're hoping we see from, from our Bears team. You're going to have some guys who's going to get every opportunity to showcase their talents, and we just hope they make the
0: most of it. Guys, before we finish up today, last question. What's the funniest moment that you've been a part of in your career, whether individually or together?
1: Oh, man. That's... A, lot, a, lot, a lot of the funniest moments um, you can't really talk about on air because you know <laughs> they were on buses, and it, 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 we had so much fun. Uh, We used to to play a welcome to jam rock in the locker room. Mm. And whenever that song would hit, we would all trash the locker room and people would dance. And guys like Lance Briggs would do the dolphin dance. and (laughs) uh, uh, Mike Brown would, yeah, rewind. And and that was a fun and funny moment Uh, for me on a football field. One of the funniest moments was um, I remember like uh, uh, Jay Cutler getting hit. I mean, he almost got killed from the backside on a sprint. And then I caught the ball and I thought I was going to score, but then I realized how slow I was. <laughs> <laughs> but in my mind first, J-Mac, I was like, oh, I am gone. This is the moment <laughs> I've been waiting for. I'm going to house this. And uh, obviously I got tackled. I think, for like a minus one-yard gain. And I blamed the rest of the offensive line. I told them if you guys would have just blocked somebody, I was going to the house, man. But uh, <laughs> uh, that, that was one of the uh, funnier moments for me.
2: Yeah, like I said, there's a, a lot of funny moments, man. We had a – you know, we were, I was blessed to be with such a great group of guys who had, you know, obviously we worked hard, but we played harder. And, uh, you know, we, you know, just just in terms of our meeting room, our running back meeting room was, was straight comedy. You know, we got our work done. We had a guys with a lot of personality in that meeting room. So, you know, we, we always when we all get together. That's the first thing we talk about. Bring up things in the past. You know, our position coach, Tim Spencer, was great. You know, he made sure we knew what we were supposed to do, but he had a sense of humor and uh, it just made going to work fun. And you know you're in a great environment when you know I can recall, you know, on Saturday, Saturdays was was a quick walkthrough. And if we had a home game, you'd have to be down at the hotel later on in the evening. And you know, after the walkthrough, a lot of guys would just stay in the locker room. We would stay up at Hallis Hall until about one or two o'clock. I mean, that's how much fun we were having. Guys didn't want to leave. And that just shows you, you know, the, the commitment, the compassion, the brotherhood, the culture that we had in that locker room. You know, when you have guys that generally love each other as people, not just players. Well, you see the success that we had on the field. So there was a lot of great moments, um, you know, moments that, uh, you know, we we miss and cherish to this day. And that's why, you know, me and Brother O, we connecting to do this podcast because it brings us back to moments that we had in the locker room and out there on the field.
0: Well, Olin, Jason, thank you guys so much for joining me. Uh, Best wishes for the No Name Podcast here on WCKG and moving forward and looking forward to this fair season and hearing your guys' opinions and takes on what's going to be happening.
1: All right, John. Appreciate it. John, thanks for having us on. Thanks for putting us on your radio station, man. We look forward to the No Name Footballs podcast partnership with you guys.
0: Great talk there with Olin Cruz and Jason McKee. And that'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Olin Cruz and Jason McKee themselves, Matt Dubiel, WCKG, Jim DeTalb, and Tomorrow Entertainment. For making this show a success. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at johnz sports and on Facebook at Chonzi You to watch more of this show. Search up Sports Talk Chicago. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportsTalkChicago.com. Another great show comes your way tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe and so long, everyone.
1: No, no, here are the turnoffs.
0: The reviews are in. Amish Country Farms is the place to be. Cute store, friendly staff, and amazing products, says Jessica. Highly recommend trying the milk, says Dan. So nice to have real homemade food so close to home, says Nicole. It's true. All of our food is locally sourced from the Amish of northern Indiana. It's fresh, authentic, and tastes out of this world. Visit our store today at 178-43 South Wolf Road in Orland Park or give us a call at 708-864-8100. Amish country farms. It's not organic, it's Amish.